Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. In the fields of bodies burning As the war machine keeps turning Death and hatred to mankind Poisoning their brainwashed minds Welcome to the Anarchist World This Week broadcast across Australia on the National Community Radio Satellite. Listen the Anarchist Woolless Week, Australia's sacred cow slaughterhouse. Listen to analysis of local, national, international events. Listen to analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Welcome to the Anarchist Woolless Week, broadcast across Australia by the Community Radio Network. This program is produced from the studios of 3CR in Melbourne. My name is Joseph Toscano. I'm hosting today's program, as I have for the last 42 years. And isn't it time the boy retired, I keep hearing you say? Well, some of us can't be retrained. That's the dilemma. If you wonder what Anarchy is all about, same concept, anarchos without rulers. The fundamental questions for people who think they're anarchists, who think, and the key word is think, because many people think they're anarchists and they're not. The fundamental question is how do you create a society without rulers? You devolve power, which is a fancy word for saying you share power and you share wealth. It's inequalities in power and wealth which give leaders and rulers the tools by which to impose their will, their vision, their dreams on the rest of us. So if you're an anarchist, keep listening. If you're not, keep listening. I don't care who you are, what church you go to, whether you go to the mosque every Friday, pray five times a day during it. I don't care. You listen to the anarchist world this week. It means you're interested in social change because as I keep saying on this program, knowledge is not power. And that's the beauty about the 21st century, isn't it? There's all this knowledge out there. You press your buttons on your little smartphone and you get your knowledge, which you forget in about 12 seconds. But it's knowledge with action which equals power. Knowledge by itself is is irrelevant. You could have knowledge. There's a concentration camp next to you, like the people in... uh, we have here in, in Melbourne, but if we don't do something about it, nothing happens. What concentration camp? Well, obviously the camp where asylum seekers and refugees are housed. But let's move on. Look, I want to talk about mutilation today. Yes, I can see all those little things ticking everywhere. He's going to talk about mutilation. Well, mutilation is a very, very, very uh, powerful word because it does conjure images of, you know, knives and people being, you know, slowly cooked, in inverted commas. And I want to talk about mutilation of public facilities because a hallmark of the Morrison unfunded liability government, you know, unfunded, um, you know, empathy government, is the fact that it has embarked 
on a strategy of mutilating essential, important government services which provide support to millions of Australians. And I'll outline these services. One is Medicare. Medibank Pro, which is a universal insurance scheme, was introduced by the Whitlam Labor government in 1973. It forms a framework of our health system in this country. It is something that most people around the world, you know, envy. The next area that's been mutilated is the National Insurance Disability Scheme. Another world first, something I've been struggling for for over 40 years. And to see the state of the National Insurance Disability Scheme, which will be looking after the needs of over 400,000 Australians and their, and their families and friends over the next few years, is a shame. It really is. Then we have public education. When you learn that 1,500 public schools between 2013 and 2017 had a $100,000 building budget for that period, while schools like uh, Halebury and uh, Wesley in Melbourne have spent $100 million on infrastructure in the past four years, and much of that money is taxpayers' money. You begin to understand how the public education sector has been mutilated. And then we come to Centrelink and the fact that 30% of Australians are reliant, totally reliant, on social security benefits to survive. People on new start allowances who are unemployed, people on disability support pensions, people on old age pensions and people on single parents' benefits is the majority of people on uh, social security benefits. And what has been happening to Centrelink and people who obtain benefits and what they have to do to obtain benefits is little short of torture. Now, a lot of people think, ah, well, that's the way it is. It's not. It hasn't been like that all the time. And the reality is that the mutilation of these essential, important public services, and I forgot to incorporate the Australian Broadcasting Corporation to that, is government policy. It is conservative policy. It is reactionary policy. And it is a direct consequence of the privatisation, deregulation, corporatisation, globalisation mania which has been the ideological blueprint for not just this Conservative and Reactionary Government, but for previous Labor Conservative and Reactionary Governments. So this is their ideological blueprint. They know that closing down the ABC would cause mass reaction among Australian people. They know that legislating away Medicare would cause huge problems for them in the community. They know that if they try to privatise what's left of the public education sector, they would have huge issues. And they know that if they tried to remove pensions wholesale, there'd be riots in the streets. Because these are fundamental services which are provided by the government 
not because it wants to provide those services, because during the era of revolutionary change and reform in the 19th and the first half of the 20th century, what we saw was the transformation of the state from an instrument which ensured that those empowered continued to exercise power to an institution which provided essential basic services to the community. It took millions of people protesting, thousands die, in order for this legislation to be put through which provides social security benefits people, which, which provides universal access to basic health care, which provides universal access to public education which provides universal access to news which is not dominated by the agenda of those who own the means of communication. So these are essential, important building blocks of this nation. And what is horrendous is the fact that these governments understand they cannot confront and remove these benefits without a struggle. So what they do, what they do is they dice and slice them, dice and slice them to make them not viable and to push people away from the public sector into a private sector which is based on the concept of maximising profits irrespective of the human, social, environmental, cultural and national costs. So it is the old death of a thousand cuts. You make it bleed. For example, Medicare. General practitioner rebates. That's the amount of money that the doctor receives or the clinic receives for seeing you in a general practice was frozen for five years. What this meant is that many smaller clinics would have gone bankrupt if they continued to bulk bill all their patients. Then at the same time, what has happened to the Medicare rebate is that you receive less as a general practitioner for seeing somebody who is not on a disability support pension or a social security benefit than if somebody who's working. So the system is designed in such a way as to break down the universal nature of Medicare, to drive people into the private sector. The same situation occurs with public hospitals, long waiting lists, inability to get outpatients appointments, issues with staff, all there in an attempt once again to drive people into the private health sector. Then you come to public education. It is no accident that hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars, have been channelled into the private education sector over the past 30 years, since the High Court judgment in the 1980s, which found it was constitutional for taxpayers' money to be given to private schools. 
And we have seen over the last three decades more and more money pumped into the private school sector, less pumped into the public school sector, and now the situation of having a free secular education is nothing more than a dream. Because most parents who send their children to public schools, irrespective you know how rich or poor they are, are paying out thousands of dollars for that privilege. So what we see is the destruction through legislation of public institutions which provide essential services to the community, especially those people who don't have the money to buy the best best healthcare money can buy, the best education money can buy, the best legal representation that money can buy. And one thing I forgot at the beginning of this little discussion, soliloquy, was the fact that legal aid has almost been legislated out of existence. So we have tens of thousands of people facing the court system who will never receive justice, equal justice, blind justice, in our court systems, while people with lots and lots of money can actually receive the best defence money can buy. So that's the situation. Then let's look at the National Disability Insurance Scheme, a great concept for the state, the community, the taxpayer, to assist people with disabilities to live in the community, to live within their family or friendship group, to provide the necessary services to ensure that people have a decent life. And over 420,000 people will be incorporated to the National Disability Insurance Scheme within the next few years. But what's happened with this government? It resisted the idea of a National Disability Insurance Scheme. If it wasn't for uh, the Gillard-led government, there wouldn't be a National Disability Insurance Scheme as there wouldn't have been an inquiry into sexual institutional sex abuse in this country. There wouldn't have been. And what we have seen is that that, uh, that the National Disability Insurance Scheme has been starved of staff, ceilings have been placed to reduce the amount of staff and this has been done to ensure the processing service is slowed down to such an extent there is excess money which can then go back in consolidated revenue which is then used to you know to say that we've got a you know a balanced budget on the back of some of the most disabled and exploited people in this country. So once again, when you see the way the National Disability Insurance Scheme has been run, organised, this is not an accident. This is direct government intervention in the scheme to ensure that it is the uptake is as slow as possible to save the government money to balance its budget. And when you look at the Australian Broadcasting Corporation, what I call the government guild at ABC, you can actually see what happens to an organisation as the funding is restricted, short-term contracts are terminated, 
and the actual ideas which are raised and discussed in the national broadcaster to a, to a large degree mirror the same discussion which occurs in the corporate-owned media. So mutilation is not too strong a word to explain what is happening to fundamental institutions, building blocks of our society, which has been built up through taxpayers' money, through the blood, sweat and tears of millions of people who have struggled to ensure that everybody in our society has at least an equal chance of succeeding. Think about it. Next time you've got a problem with Centrelink, next time you've got a problem with the National Disability Insurance Scheme, next time you've got a problem with Medicare, next time you've got a problem with the Australian Broadcasting Corporation, Next time you've got a problem of legal aid. Next time you've got a problem of the family court system. Think again. Think how government intervention over the past 40 years has been used to attempt to denigrate and destroy these essential public services. You're listening to The Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the community radio Network. A little bit of housekeeping, just in case you're in Melbourne, because this is where the program comes from. Uh, Wednesday, the fourteenth of uh, on Wednesday, the fourteenth of August, uh, there's a little little huddle down at the corner of Spencer and uh, Collins Street in uh, Melbourne, Southern Cross Station, from uh, twelve till one, and it's all about access to public space. It's about the privatisation of public space. It's about the fact that public space outside the privatised Southern Cross Station, which is owned by you know superannuation funds, has been reduced to ninety centimetres. So come and join us. You can you can look up the uh, struggle. Go to my personal Facebook page, Joseph Toscano, or the uh, Public Interest Before Corporate Interest Facebook page to see what it's all about. But again, we'll be there on the fourteenth the 21st and the 28th of August. So if you're in Melbourne then, come and join us between 12 and 1 and uh, learn what it's really like, uh, you know, how much freedom of assembly we have, you know. And I'll talk about this in a minute when I speak about Hong Kong. Now, today's lunch, that's the 14th of August, will be held at around 1pm, between 1 to one quarter past one at La Porquetas at around 392 Ligon Street in Carlton North. Next week, it'll be the same address. It'll be dinner at 7pm. And on August the 28th, we'll be going down to uh, Frankston to have uh, our monthly dinner down there, which will be at the All You Can Eat restaurant, which is around 315 P&I in Frankston. So if you want to look look it up, look look it up. Go to the Pipsy website, Public Interests Before Corporate Interests, and uh, the public housing everybody's business struggle continues. On the fourteenth of August, the uh, on the afternoon around two p.m., the Victorian public uh, Victorian Parliament will be debating homelessness. That's right, and a number of people will be congregating on the steps and then going into Parliament to uh, listen to the speeches. So you're more than welcome to join them and uh, defend and extend public housing and public housing everybody's business 
will also be on the steps of the Victorian Parliament House from 5.30 to 6.30pm to raise the issue of public housing. This is the Victorian Public House in, uh, in, in Spring Street, the corner of Burke and Spring Street in Melbourne on the uh, 14th of August, the 21st of August and the 28th of August. So there's lots of things happening all over the place uh, and it's important that... Well, it's not important, it's up to you. As I said before at the beginning of the program, knowledge and facts without action is basically useless. You know, to have a knowledge about something and do nothing about it, I think is a little bit uh, more concerning than not actually knowing or caring and uh, doing nothing about it. At least you've got an excuse if you don't know. But if you do know and you do nothing about it, it, it's an issue. And this is this is a constant issue. And this is why we formed public interest before corporate interests about uh, four years ago. And again, we're still on that long struggle to get the uh, group registered as a federal political party. We're getting there, but slowly. And obviously, we need more members. We need about another 140 members. And you can become a member quite easily. You can uh, download the application form from pipsy.net. Have a look at the website. Uh, you can. It's a direct democratic organisation. We're currently in the process of voting on eight policy statements which cover issues as far-reaching as gender equality, treaty, cooperatives, collectives, public utilities, uh, universal basic income, and the list goes on and on. Treaty, and the list goes on and on. So we're in that process, and uh, this will be finished by the end of September. So what I'm saying is if you... You know, you want to do something about it, and you're not, you know, you're not the type of person who takes to the streets and are sick and tired of being involved in street action with minimal success. Well, isn't it about time there was a political party in the uh, federal arena which actually raised these, these ideas about uh, the mutilation of the uh, essential public services as a specific ideological push by uh, successive governments and... Uh, because you can, you, you can listen to this program for as long as you like. And I know some people have been listening to the program for 40 years. It's not going to change anything by listening to the program. It really doesn't. What changes things is people taking action as a consequence of the program and organising. And if they don't like what you know I'm talking about, well, they can organise their own activities. Because essentially, unless people organise and protest, uh, nothing happens. Because when I was in Iceland with my... Uh, late wife Ellen Jose in 2015, something really caught my imagination. Their little parliament house in Reykjavik, there was a little big piece of stone about, you know, about two metres high with a big crack in it which was painted black. And it was, and it was a monument to the unknown demonstrator. Because it is the unknown demonstrator who sets the political and social agenda in this country. It's the unknown demonstrator who's responsible for the National Disability Insurance Scheme. It was the unknown demonstrator who's, you know, who's responsible for the establishment of the, Nash, of the Australian Broadcasting Corporation. It's the unknown demonstrator who's responsible for the introduction of the social security system in this country. It is the unknown demonstrators at the forefront of the struggle against climate change. It is the unknown demonstrator who is out there ensuring that we fight back every time the state, especially in Australia where there are no constitutional protections, attempts to erode our freedom to assemble, 
and an implied right to freedom of speech. It is the unknown demonstrator which raises issues regarding fairness in the workplace, gender equality, a treaty or treaties with this country's first people. It is the unknown demonstrators at the forefront of all these struggles. And it is the unknown demonstrator in Hong Kong which is, you know, causing a little bit of concern for the Communist Party of China. Now, what I find laughable about the coverage in the corporate-owned media and the statements made by our so-called political leaders is the fact that they are heaping praise on the unknown demonstrator in Hong Kong while they do everything they can to ensure that the unknown demonstrator in Australia is marginalised, ostracised, criminalised. Well, the Prime Minister talks about, you know, the unknown demonstrator in Hong Kong, who I've got a lot of respect for, not the Prime Minister, not with, uh, you know, unfunded empathy, no respect for unfunded empathy, that happy clapper, Great respect for people who are, you know, flexing their muscles and trying to maintain what few freedoms they have, as I have great respect for people in this country, irrespective of their ideological bent. Do you think it would be any different if we invaded the airport? Could you imagine the response in the corporate-owned media and the government guild at ABC? the response from the police and the armed forces and the government of the day. You see all those mask protesters in in Hong Kong? Well, it's illegal to wear a mask in Australia. Illegal. You can end up in prison and people have been uh, prosecuted. Do you think that the police would restrain themselves if they were confronting tens of thousands of people demanding radical change in this country, demanding that the mutilation of this country's essential services were stopped and expanded, do you think they would act any differently? Do you think they'd have any hesitation in calling in the army, as we saw in Sudan, where hundreds of demonstrators were shot dead a few months ago and continue to be shot dead? Do you think they'd have any hesitation? Why do you think 75 pieces of legislation have gone through Parliament since 9-11, which have curtailed, curtailed what few liberties we have? And if you think you, you've got constitutional projection, all you have to do is look at the last few High Court uh, decisions, which will send shivers down anybody's back. The recent High Court decision, which found that a Commonwealth public servant had no right to open their mouth because they're employed as a Commonwealth public service, should send shivers down people's back. All these new laws that have been introduced to criminalise whistleblowers, we've seen current trials that are occurring regarding the criminalisation of whistleblowers and the fact that the the journalists are now complaining that, you know, their sources won't talk to them. 
because of potential uh, federal police intervention and prosecution. And we think we're any different to the Chinese Communist Party in China. I mean, the only reason I'm able to broadcast every week is because I'm insignificant, irrelevant, not even a burr under the saddle of society. You think if the anarchist world this week, which is broadcast across Australia via the community radio network, had any impact on society, that we had any penetration in society, that people began to organise and resist and demand change, that we would be able to continue to broadcast? Of course not. Look at the trade union movement. The only organisations left in our society with a significant number of people as members. Look at the legislation that's been passed to legislate them out of existence. Look at the fact that we are the only Western country where people cannot withdraw their labour without criminal penalties. And the list goes on and on. Look at the way members of the CFMEU are treated as criminals if they don't answer questions. And the list goes on and on. So do you think the Australian government and our laws are any different to those in China? Do you think... You know, I had to laugh recently, and I really did. I, I've seen these federal politicians and corporate giants jump up and down and say... We're concerned about foreign interference, interfering with our democracy. And I'm blinking. And I'll say it again. Foreign interference in our democracy. I'm thinking, well, what about the corporate interference we've had in our democracy for decades? What about the fact that that the small 1% that owns the means of production, distribution, exchange and communication, which dominates the media outside the government guild at ABC continues to lie regarding issues, blow things up metaphorically in order to suit them, that small percentage of people, as if foreign interference to our democracy is the critical issue. The critical issue isn't bloody foreign interference in our democracy – The critical issue is the fact that the corporate sector dominates the parliamentary agenda, that our parliamentarians are little more than puppets who are, you know, who jump as high as they're asked to, you know, who jump as high as their masters ask them to jump. And if you think I'm making this up, just look at the parliamentary legislation that's on the agenda, both at the state and federal level across this country. Just look at it. We should have been the richest, most egalitarian, most prosperous, most secure community on the face of this planet since the beginning of human civilization. We have 25 million people living on a continent with vast resources, mineral resources, which the rest of the world wants and needs. Resources which we obviously stole from our First Nations people. So what do we do? What do we do?
we give away these resources to transnational corporations, both locally owned and foreign owned, who exploit these resources on our behalf and pay peppercorn rent. What would happen if these resources were owned by us through the state? Think of the amount of money which would be poured into a sovereign fund to look after the interests of these of our, our people for generations to come, as we see in Norway. But no, we believe in a free market system. In other words, a corporate-dominated system. So we allow ourselves to find ourselves in the ridiculous situation where we don't have enough oil for local consumption and, and the... Uh, you know, we're down to about 30-day supply, while we export 75% of the oil which is actually found in this country. Gas, how ridiculous. The second biggest gas supply in the world. But not enough has been reserved for local use because it doesn't fit our privatisation agenda. Look at water. Look at the Murray-Darling. Look at the atrocities, the mutilation that's occurred along the Murray-Darling Basin as water becomes another private little commodity which is bought and sold in an open marketplace. You're listening to The Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia by the Community Radio Satellite. This program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. AU. My name is Joseph Scott. I'm hosting today's program. The whole essence of the program is not just to provide analysis, which you'll hear nowhere else, but to actually encourage you to become involved. Just standing outside some corporate headquarters with a, a little, you know, a little sign saying, you know, a little sign. Before you know it, private security, local police, they'll all be there harassing you. That's the beauty of living in Australia in the 21st century. All right, let's move on because we could... Uh, because the key, as we see in Hong Kong and as we saw in Sudan, the key is action, mass action. And unfortunately, the concept that you cannot fight City Hall in, this, in a society which is not engaged with what's happening is a real issue. I mean, the last election was a classical example classical example of what happens to a people who are not engaged, who are disengaged, who are apathetic, who allow the corporate sector to dominate the debate, who allow those who exercise power to dominate the debate. So here we are facing these critical crises. These are crises which we shouldn't have to face. As I said before, we are potentially the luckiest people since the Beginning of civilization, 25 million living on a continent. And we're faced with all these issues which are never addressed. And to a significant degree, these issues are due to the fact that we, for far too long as a people, not as individuals, but as a people, have sided with those who exercise power. And that is the history of Australia. 
siding with those who exercise power. It was until 1855, which was over 80 years after the colonisation process began in this country, that one human being wrote that in the, in the First Nations people, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders of this people, in 1855, Raphael Camboni, sorry, in 1853, Raphael Camboni, after interacting and living with Aboriginal people around Ballarat in 1853 before the Eureka Rebellion in 1854, that Raphael Camboni said and wrote and stated that Indigenous people were the victims of British colonisation. End of story. 230 years later, we still can't even acknowledge as a people the brutality of the colonisation process and more importantly, the long-lasting legacy of not addressing this festering sore on our body politic. And when the question comes about, you know, some pathetic little group which is recognised in the Constitution, which advises the Parliament, it's, you know, it's as if the world has come to an end. When the Mabo decision occurred in 1992, it was as if it was the end of the known universe. And then we have all this mineral wealth, which obviously we stole from the First Nations people. All this mineral wealth. And we allow for generations, private corporations to maximise their profits at our expense while we have people sleeping rough in the streets during winter in this country. Extraordinary. Just extraordinary. Because there's not enough public housing. Of course there's not enough public housing across the country, especially in Victoria and New South Wales two most populous states, which have got over 60% of the nation's population, we have seen concerted efforts by both Liberal National and Labor governments to destroy the public housing sector, to privatise it, and it is nothing worse than what is happening in Victoria, where we are seeing the wholesale destruction of the public housing sector and where the government would love to hand over the titles of the public housing sector, public housing, to private corporations, which masquerade as social and affordable, you know, and community housing sector, which is basically another name for another private organisation. But as a, as, a, as a majority, we accept this. We march behind those who exploit us. We worship at their feet. We idolise them. I mean, the last election was quite an extraordinary situation. I found it extraordinary because we were willing to give up our future as a people, not to tackle the issue of climate change, increasing emissions, not to tackle the issue of the deterioration public education sector, public health, and the list goes on and on, but we were willing to sell our soul, not for 30 pieces of silver, as Judas did, which was quite a reasonable amount in those days, 
for betraying Jesus Christ. But we were sell, uh, happy to sell our soul as a people. That's right, as a people. The majority in this country, we were happy to sell our soul as a people for a $10 a week tax cut for those who are wage earners while ignoring the plight of the 30% of Australians who rely on social security benefits to survive. We were willing to sell our soul to ensure that the investment class, less than 8% of the population, continue to have negative, have tax advantages through negative gearing. We were happy to sell our soul to ensure that those who profit by not paying tax continue to profit by not paying tax. And most extraordinary of all, we were willing to sell our soul not for 30 pieces of silver, but we were willing to sell our soul to ensure that franking credits continued for people who are not pensioners. And you know what a franking credit is? It's when the government gives you a gift for owning shares. And within six years, the cost out of a budget of about $500 billion will be $60 billion a year to continue to pay franking credits, which is greater than the whole social security budget. And again, I don't blame people for this state of affairs. What I blame is the fact that we, through apathy and through greed, have allowed this disinformation, this evil, and there's nothing short of evil, to continue. Irrespective of the problems faced by somebody who is homeless, irrespective of the reason they're, they're on the street, isn't it evil that they continue to be on the street year after year after year? Although we have the resources to resolve the issue because the government of the day thinks there are no votes in providing public housing or homelessness, that is evil. Isn't it evil to collectively punish people for seven years for having the audacity to try to come this country because they're fleeing persecution? That is evil. Isn't it evil to keep over a million people on a new start allowance which doesn't even pay the weekly rent? That is evil. I'd understand it if we lived in a society with no resources. But the fact is that what we've seen over the past 30 years is a complete reversal in the economic fortunes of those who do the work. 30 years ago, if you invested a dollar in the country... 66% would go into the pockets of those who created that wealth. That's the workers. Today, for every dollar that's invested, 66 cents goes into the pocket of the investor and 33 cents into the pocket of the worker. Complete ass about. And we continue to support this system as a people. 
I mean, you speak to individuals and they say, oh, you know, it's not good, we should do this, we should do that. But as a people, we don't seem to have progressed. What we've seen is the change of culture. The so-called fair-go culture has disappeared. The social elevator has been dismantled. Everything that can generate a buck has been privatised. It's extraordinary. And the reason is, not because we don't have the knowledge, not because we don't understand, because in 2019, over 60% of people don't even have $3,000 to fall back on if they find themselves in in an uh, urgent situation. Because most Australians, in an era of no wage growth, because the trade union movement has been legislated out of existence, now find themselves like rats on a treadmill racing faster and faster and faster on that treadmill but getting nowhere financially at the end of the week, let alone at the end of the year. We now see the ludicrous situation where you've got two breadwinners in the same house, both working, both on that treadmill, both wage slaves, trying to get enough money in order to pay bills. And at the same time, we see the financial sector continue to rip people off. I mean, we've had a banking royal commission, so what? One, nobody's been charged. Two, there's been no court cases. And three, only seven of the 65 recommendations have actually been implemented. And I received a letter yesterday for a loan that I have, a business loan that I've got. And it's interesting that they've actually now increased, that's right, increased interest on business loans in order to try to maximise their profits. Just extraordinary. It's an extraordinary situation. Extraordinary situation. And talking about business, my greatest regret is small business, the corporatisation of small business in this country, the destruction of a pathway for people who don't actually want to be wage slaves who want to run their own business. And there are many people who like to run their own business who don't want to exploit other people. But through the corporatisation of almost every aspect of living, it's a fancy word and I'll explain it in a minute, we now find ourselves in a low-wage economy, in a casualised economy, in an economy where people are frightened to speak up in case they lose their jobs, frightened to speak up because they're so saddled with debt because of a overheated property market that they have to spend every minute of the day on that treadmill in order to pay the bills. Treading, treading, sweating, you know, bowing, beseeching, begging, not standing up as human beings and demanding their rights. Small business, corporatisation. Look at the hardware field. Bunnings dominates every aspect. Hundreds of small hardware shops closed down. Hundreds of jobs, thousands, tens of thousands lost. Pet, pet shops disappeared. We've got the corporatisation of the pet industry. Food distribution, local shops disappeared. Corporatisation, 
GP clinics, 50% of GP clinics are now owned by four corporations. Because in this country, there are no antitrust laws. Even the United States of America, the home of corporate capitalism, the temple of corporate capitalism, they have antitrust laws, which means that if a business gets too big, it can be forced to divest legally. Not in this country. We are seeing the logical consequences of two things in our country. The first one is the logical consequences of a constitution where the individual stands naked before the arbitrary exercise of state power where we have no constitutional protections regarding freedom of speech, freedom of assembly and the freedom to choose the organisations we belong to. So we are seeing this country legislation, law after law after law after law after law which strips away any protections we have against the arbitrary exercise of state power. And at the same time, we have had the scourge of corporatisation, the ultimate endpoint of a deregulated economic system where the state does not intervene to protect local business and local industry from unfair competition, where we have seen industry after industry, service after service, corporatized to the to the degree where we see franchisees people who buy a business from a corporation shafting their workers because they can't make a profit unless they shaft their workers and when that franchise is sold to them the people who sell them that franchise know that's the only way they're going to make a profit and the tragedy is for that $10 illusory a week, $10 a week illusory tax cut, which is just goes away, dissipates, disappears, we are willing to continue as a people on the same pathway. There are options. There are always options in life. Obviously, there are consequences. And we're seeing the consequences for the lone demonstrator, the unknown demonstrator, the unknown whistleblower, increasing on a daily basis. But as the people in Sudan and Hong Kong have taught us, ultimate political authority, ultimate political power in a democratic society does not rest in the hands of the state and the military. It does not rest in the hands of the permanent bureaucracy. It does not rest in the hands of the courts or the corporate sector. Ultimate political authority in a democratic society rests in the hands of a fully engaged public. And that's the issue. In 2019 in Australia, we don't have a fully engaged public. And to a significant degree... That is due to the fact 
There are no alternative opinions on a mass scale in this society. There are no alternative opinions which challenge the essence of capitalism and corporatisation and globalisation and privatisation and deregulation. There are. It doesn't exist. Whether it's radio, whether it's television, whether it's legacy newspapers, the old legacy media, whether it's the, you know, whether it's the World Wide Web, Twitter, and the list goes on and on. It's all about peripherals. It's all about the spectacle. It's all about the vibe, the feel, not about facts, not about reality, just about the vibe. So, there's plenty you can do. As I said, facts without action is tantamount to, well, it's worse than apathy. You can be apathetic because you believe that change is impossible. You just believe it's impossible. And I can understand that in Australia in 2019. But to have the facts and be apathetic, I think, is almost criminal. Because the facts are there. They are there on a daily basis. We have access to those facts on a daily basis. We know what's wrong in our society. We know the changes that need to be made. But as a community, we are not willing to make those steps because, to a significant degree, because we are running like rats on treadmills trying to race up, you know, race around this treadmill in order to pay our debts. You've been listening to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. You can write to me. Yes, I do answer letters. I'll be collecting the mail today. Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052. Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052. You can go to the, you can go to the uh, Public Housing Everybody's Business website. Join us in the steps of the Victorian Parliament House, the 14th, the 21st, the 28th. You can come to the dinners which I organise. Go to the Pipsy website, pipsy.net. And heaven forbid, just in case you want to fight back, you can always join public interest before corporate interest. You could actually uh, download the application form, pipsy.net. You can go to the uh, you can go to the website, um, anarchistmedia.org, anarchistmedia.org. But the important thing to remember is, look, I can talk for another 40 years, which would make me, what, 117 or something, or 107. But the fact is that talk is cheap. We can both talk and walk at the same time. So isn't it about time that as a people we actually looked at the real reasons we find ourselves in this situation and stopped believing all the garbage we're told on a daily basis? It's time for us to start using those neurons that we have in our heads and uh, put the blame where it should be. It's not our neighbours. It's not the person who looks different or smells different. It's that small section of society that owns the means of production, distribution, exchange and communications and those parliamentarians who are more fearful of them than they are of the people who elect them to parliament. Listen to The Anarchist World this week on your local community radio station next week. Listen in next week on the community radio station. Evil minds that plot destruction An analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Anarchist World This Week, Australia's Sacred Cow Slaughterhouse. 10am every Wednesday, 
Listen to The Anarchist World this week for an up-to-date analysis of local, national and international events. Poisoning their brainwashed minds. Oh, larger! You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.